0: Getting to be the new year. And I thought I would tell you what I think one of our resolutions should be. I'm going to make a resolution for everybody this morning. Um, and the resolution is don't move. Don't move. And some of you are thinking, I got a nice house. Why would I move? That's not what I'm talking about. Um, there's lots of times when the best thing to do is not to move. Um, I was thinking about this. And the first one that came to mind is the most apparent. And it's when this guy with a badge, right? When someone with a badge tells you not to move, the best option is not to move, right? Um, Some other times when it's best not to move, um, this is something as a youth pastor I deal with a lot. Uh, We'll go on camps or retreats or kids will bring these things to youth group. Maybe you've seen these things. They're boards and they have wheels on them. And always a kid comes to me and says, hey, why don't you do, why don't you use this thing? And in my, in my head at that moment, I say, don't move, Brandon, don't move. Um, me and things with wheels and boards don't work very well together. And so, uh, skateboards, snowboards, wakeboards, skis, scurf boarding, just about anything else. I would rather leave my feet firmly planted on the ground that does not move underneath my feet. Um, that's a good time not to move. Um, for those of you who have moved a lot from house to house, um, that's a painful process, right? Some of you right now have been living in the same house for like 20 years when you have to move, it's going to be painful, right? And so some of you are like, I'd rather just stay. I'd rather not. I'd rather not move at all. Um, another time when it's best not to move for me, um, at the doctor's office, getting a shot is about the worst thing that can happen. Um, there's the nurse and she brings out this needle. Some of you are going to pass out just me saying this, right? But my thought is I'm not moved. Like I'll, I will be petrified still, Because my thought is, if I move while this needle is in my arm, I'm going to die, right? That's my thought. And so those are times when I try not to move. Um, The last one I thought of is that when, say on Black Friday, you've been standing in line all night and you've got the best spot, right? You know that you're going to get the flat screen TV at Best Buy, and yet you have to go to the bathroom, right? Some, some of you would rather wet your pants than you would move out of the best spot in line, right? And so uh, those are just a few times where it's best not to move. Um, of course, that's not what I, that's not. I mean, all those are just illustrations about not moving. Um, what we're talking about this morning is we're going to be in 1 Corinthians uh, 1558, as you can see. And Paul gives a main command to the Corinthians there, and he tells them this simple fact. Don't move. Don't move. What is Paul talking about when he says that? This is what he's talking about. He says, when you have found the truth of the gospel in Jesus Christ, and when you are in God's will, all you have to do is not move. It's not. Some of us, we try to make it a lot more complex than that. We try to do. But here's the deal. God saves us by his grace. God will take us to heaven to be with himself. And Paul tells the Corinthians, don't move. Stay where you're at. Stay where you're at. Um, that's difficult in this world, and that's what we're going to talk about, is just that one command. As believers, we know that. Most of us here in this room, if you know Jesus Christ, you know that you've found salvation. You believe that. You, you know what it is to walk in God's will. You know, I mean, this, I'm a youth pastor, right? And I tell the young people this all the time. The things that are sin in this world are normally pretty blatant, Right? It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that something you're doing is wrong. And so, as believers, normally we know we know what if what we're doing is good. We know we're in the truth of the gospel, and we we just need to stay there. And yet, some of us are tempted to move. What do I see as a youth pastor? I see people that are tempted to move away from their marriages. I see people that are tempted to move away from their kids. I see people that are tempted to move away from their church They're like or the church in general. They're just like, oh, I'll just be one of those people who doesn't go to church. I see people who are tempted to move away from their purity and from the moral things that they know are right and their integrity, tempted to wander, tempted to stray. I see people that are tempted to move away from Christian service. They just say, ah, whatever, I'm just going to live my own American dream life and serve myself not serve others, then if we're honest, sometimes we're tempted to move away from the faith altogether. Right? There are people who in this room, maybe even right now, have just thought, maybe it'd be better just to, just to give it up, just to walk away. Um, Paul tells us today, just like he told the Corinthians 2,000 years ago almost now, he says, don't move. <laughs> don't move. Um, let me read it for you. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight. You can turn there in your Bible if you're there. We'll be jumping around in 1 Corinthians 15 a little bit, but primarily in this one verse. Paul says this. Therefore, this is 15, 58, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. I'll read it one more time. Therefore, my beloved brothers... Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. We're going to pray. And I told this to the first service, mainly to the young people. But why should preachers pray before they preach? Because whose book is this? It's God's book. And if we're going to understand it, we should ask for his help, especially if you're going to understand it coming from me. So why don't you bow your heads? We'll pray that God would help us to understand his word today. God, We look to you today. You're the author of this book. You're the only one who can give us an immovable faith. God, you are um, so gracious to us to give us anything. Um, And yet, I pray, God, that you would change us this day, that we would understand your word, not just understand it, but that understanding it, we'd be convicted about it, and that being convicted, we would change. And God, for those areas in our lives where we're moving away from what you want, where we're being tempted and drawn away, Lord, cause us to be immovable. Um, help us to abound in your work. Lord, we love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're in the book of 1 Corinthians. Now, let me tell you about the Corinthians. If there's one thing you need to know about them is that they had problems. <laughs> you would be hard-pressed. You would, it would be almost impossible in the New Testament to find a church that had more problems than the church at Corinth, Right? So Paul's been writing, basically Paul for 18 months founded this church, okay? And then he moved on in his missionary career to to plant other churches and do other things for the Lord. And he hears wind a few years later that the Corinthians are struggling, that there, there are major problems going on in Corinth. And I mean everything from there's division, to there's disgusting immorality and things going on, to there's pride and arrogance, and there's disorder among the service, there's their worship service. Sounds like it was a circus. And Paul hears all this, and not only that, the, the very most important one is that there's doctrinal heresy in the church. That, that there's people who are believing things that are absolutely contrary to the actual gospel. And so Corinth had so many problems, so many things, and yet after all that, Paul ends in chapter 15 with the most important, which is the doctrine of the resurrection. So 1 Corinthians 15 is written because there are people in the church at Corinth that don't believe that resurrection happens. They they've They've been led astray by false teachers and they've come to accept themselves that resurrection just isn't a thing that actually happens. Now, what's the problem with that as believers? Who was, who was resurrected? Jesus. Jesus was. And so for the church to be saying this doesn't really happen, Paul views as a, as a very serious problem. And he writes to them and he, says, and he says, Corinthians, what are you talking about? Right? So the first thing that he says to them, and I'm going to kind of summarize chapter 15 for you just to give you the context, is he says, the resurrection is crucial to the gospel. He said, when we, when we came and talked to you, this was a main point. This wasn't just like a small little side detail. This is a main point. So one, it's crucial to the gospel. He said, two, Jesus appeared to over 500 people in a resurrected body. So Paul says, how do you explain that? He says, he appeared to me. He appeared to little individual groups, but then 500 people at once. Are you going to say that all of them are liars, that all of them were delusional, that all of them were somehow, that all of them somehow missed the point? Three, he says, and this is the most basic logic that they're missing. He says, Corinthians, if there's no resurrection, then Jesus wasn't resurrected either. The Corinthians hadn't put that together. They thought they could just believe that there was no resurrection and have no consequences from it. He says, if, if there's no resurrection, Jesus wasn't resurrected. Not only that, he says, if there's no resurrection, we should be laughed at. That's what he says. He says, as believers, people should look in at the church and pity us if there's no resurrection. Because why would you live for God? Why, why would you put any kind of rules on yourself in this life? Why would you be sanctified and live a holy life if there's nothing to come? If there's no reward, no glory in the end. He also says that if, um, if Christ has not been raised, then God and Paul are both liars. He says, you're calling me a liar and you're calling God a liar because God's attested in the scriptures that his son was raised and you're saying that that's not true. He says, to, is to call God a liar. He uses that argument with them. And then last, he uses this argument. He says, some of the Corinthians were saying there was no resurrection because they were saying that we would be raised to be just in these same bodies that we're in now. And Paul says, no, you've got that all wrong got that all wrong. No one wants to be resurrected if we have to live in these bodies again, right? (laughs) Maybe it's just me, but I ain't not getting any younger either. Um, He says, no, we will have, our mortal bodies will be changed and will be imperishable, immortal bodies. And so Paul gives them all that. And so the coolest thing is after all this, he comes to this one command and it just sticks out like a thumb because there's nothing, it's not it's connected to, to stuff, but it just stands alone. And Paul says, Corinthians, after all this, all these problems, all these things we've talked about, the resurrection itself, he says, don't move, don't move. So this is, a, this is what we're going to talk about today. Uh, next slide. Yeah, four keys to an unmovable new year. All right. Four keys to an unmovable new year. And I put them all up there for you, for those of you that like to take notes or those of you that like to plan ahead or whatever. Uh, first one, don't move. Obviously, there's times where you can walk off yourself, right? We'll talk about that. Second, don't be moved by anything else. I know this is rocket science so far, right? Don't move yourself and don't let anything else move you. Next, abound in the work of the Lord. We're going to talk about how that comes in. Last but not least is be motivated by the glory to come. Be motivated by the glory to come, okay? So first command Paul gives is this. Don't move. Look down. Verse 58. It's pretty simple. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, be steadfast. The, the word steadfast means to be seated. If you're seated, you're usually not moving, uh, at least in a chair of some kind, maybe if you're in a car. Um, it's also a wrestling illustration. The word is used in wrestling terminology of standing your ground, of when someone's coming up against you, that there's times where you need to be steadfast and not move. Um, my favorite is this, that the word is typically used of statues, how much do statues move? The idea of a statue being placed somewhere, that's what it's used as, a statue being placed in one place, meaning it, it stays there. It stays there. It doesn't go wandering off, right? No one goes and you know, uh, says, my statue wandered off. Um, it's also used of not moving yourself. In other words, of firmly planting, standing your ground. Um, how does this happen in the life of a Christian? How would this happen? Because obviously the Corinthians were not there. The Corinthians were being moved by everything, <laughs> they're being moved by their own pride being moved by uh, false teachers they're being moved by immorality they're being moved by all sorts of stuff. And so how does this happen? So, uh, Peter tells us this in 2nd Peter 3 you can jot this down if you're a note taker. 2nd Peter 3 he says do not be moved but then he says this, grow. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't I'm not a botanist. My biology teacher was in the first service. Mr. Henderson was here. I didn't like biology. Uh, I'm not good at it. Chemistry, you get to blow stuff up. Uh, That was a lot funner. Biology, I had to look in a microscope and draw, and my drawings looked like a kindergartner's, and I didn't like it. But I do know this. Um, When a tree is about this tall, I can move it. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. I think if we all got together and tried to go push one of these oak trees over, we couldn't do it. What's the difference? growth growth you cannot stay an immature baby christian and be immovable right you you got to grow you got to be learning changing um making steps towards god learning what he wants of you all this stuff it's got so in other words don't move side to side or away from the truth of the gospel but grow in it grow up in it so that you're firm planted rooted so that stuff can't push you over. In James, it says that people were tossed back and forth by every wave of doctrine that came by. That's not how we're supposed to be, right? We're supposed to grow. And so um, that's a good illustration of being um, steadfast. If you have the right answer, don't move. Don't move. If you're in God's will, if you know the truth of the gospel, don't move away from it, okay? So the first thing is don't move yourself. The second key is this don't be moved by anything else. Brilliant, I know. So I'm a youth pastor. All the time, this happens to me at camp. Middle schoolers will come up to me. Middle schoolers will come up to me with a brilliant idea. Right? They'll come up and say, they'll come up and say, "Hey, uh, Brandon, uh, can we can we go blow up someone's suitcase?" And they, it's like they're like, this is a, this is a revelation to them. We would love to blow up somebody's suitcase. And my favorite word at that point is no. No. And then, this is classic, always how it happens, commences the pleading, and they proceed to try to tell me why it's a really great idea to blow up somebody's suitcase, right? And this is what I always tell them. I always have, I have this line. I say, I'll say this. I say, I've been standing against peer pressure since I was a freshman in high school, and I'm not going to stop now. I'm not going to, not because some middle schooler came to me with a brilliant idea, right? It's because they'll, they'll get all their friends to come and try, hey, did you, did you hear what Joe's idea was? I think it's really cool, right? And they send like minions and it's like waves of attack. And I just keep saying, no, Um, there's times where people, people try to move us, where things try to move us. And that's a dumb illustration, but here's the deal. If you know the truth, if you're in the truth, if you know what God's will is, don't let something move you. It doesn't matter how convincing the argument is. It doesn't matter how hard the trial is. It doesn't matter. I mean, this is not to say this is easy, right? I realize that what I'm saying is easier said than done. Definitely. The whole sermon, that's going to be true of the whole sermon. But Paul looks at this church that has been struggling and problem after problem after problem. And he says, that's what this next word means. If you look down, he says, be steadfast, immovable, right? The word immovable is an even more intense word for not yielding to pressure, for not giving in, for not letting anything move you. It literally means without any motion, right? Um, don't be moved. I use these illustrations. You go back to the other one too. Um, back a slide if you can. Yeah, these two rocks. Um, they've been balancing there a long time. I guess this is in Glacier National Park or something. It's called the Balancing Boulder. Um, people have been taking pictures of it for a hundred years now. It hasn't moved. It just stays there, right on the edge of the cliff. All right. That's us. That's us. And then the next picture too. Of someone trying to push a boulder. Don't let. Don't let anybody push you around. Um, adults, I'm, this can happen to us. Like if we're honest, peer pressure is not just a thing that young people face. Right? We face pressure from friends and pressures from society to be a certain way or do a certain thing or accept things that are not acceptable to God. And Paul says to the Corinthians, don't move yourself and be immovable. Don't, don't let anybody else move you. Things that the Bible say can move us, Affliction. In First Thessalonians, Paul says that affliction can move us. First Thessalonians 3.3. 3. We have to be careful that when trials come into our lives and there's hard times, that we don't let it push us around. Uh, 2 Peter says that lawless people and false teachers can move us. That sometimes there's people who don't care about God's law and want to teach something differently, and there can be a temptation there to move with them. First Corinthians 15. Look back in 15.33. Just look up a little bit in the passage. It is a classic youth pastor verse here. 1 Corinthians fifteen thirty three says, Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. That's an example of the Corinthians getting pushed around. Paul says, hey, if you're hanging out with bad company, foolish friends, foolish people, you're going to be tempted to move along with them and move the direction that they're going. He says, don't be moved. Um, don't yield to peer pressure. So, an unmovable new year, don't move yourself, even if life's hard, even if you say, Lord, I can't take it anymore, I can't do anymore. Second, don't let others move you. Don't let any temptation, any friend, any person um, get you to move away from what you know is right in God's eyes. The last, or the two last things are a little not, they don't make as much sense to us, but Paul says this, if you go back to verse 58, so be steadfast and movable always abounding in the work of the Lord, always abounding. There's a sense of if you keep doing the right thing, you won't do the wrong thing, right? I have an illustration up here about how some of us view our service to God, right? So we have a little baby now, me and my wife, my wife's right there. She's pretty, um, <laughs> right? Everybody, um, we every time uh, we give them medicine, we measured out really carefully right? Two milliliters and no more. Not a, not. We don't want to give that guy even a drop more than what he's supposed to have. Um, and we use this little measuring thing and we're very carefully. That's how some of us do with our service to God sometimes. We say, God, you can have this much, no more. Not all of us but it's an attitude thing. And this is not to try to guilt anybody into doing more than they're doing or giving more than they're giving or anything. This is to say, what's our attitude? And when we, when we talk about serving God, is our attitude a little measuring cup? God, I'll measure out what my service is to you. I'll measure out how much I can give this month. I'll measure out what kind of time of mine that you can have, and then I'll give it to you and you'd better be satisfied with it. The word abound, when Paul says always abounding in the work of the Lord, the word abound literally means to overflow, to overflow. You see the difference in attitude between a little measuring cup and an overflowing cup? I was thinking about this. Young kids, when they pour something, they have a hard time um, figuring out why they should stop until it's overflowing, right? They just keep going and going. We have this, um, for those of you that have been to middle school camp with us years ago, there was a hot chocolate machine right? There's a hot chocolate machine and it had a button on it. And the button said, release the button before the cup is full because it would go for like five more seconds. No, no middle schoolers. They can't do that. It's not even something that they're capable of, right? They have to push the button until the hot, until the cup is full of hot chocolate. And so there'd just be this mess of hot chocolate everywhere. Because that was their attitude. They're like, no, I'm getting every drop out of this. I want it overflowing. And that's what, God's t- that's what Paul's talking about in our attitude here. He looks at the Corinthians and says, hey, quit with all this stuff. Quit with all the immorality and all this divisiveness and fighting that's happening in your church. And he says, abound in the work of the Lord. Overflow in it. Don't just, don't just be like, oh, I'll give a tiny little bit. I'll measure it out and say, God, you can have this this week. Abound. Now, how do we know what the work of the Lord is? This is a simple question. Um, for those of you that for those of you that have a boss and have a job, what are you supposed to do at your job? What your boss wants you to. Right. If you if your boss walks in on you and you're doing something that's not pleasing to him, how's that going to go? Great. Is he going to be like, oh, it's fine. No, just keep, yeah, I don't care if you're browsing the internet, not a problem. Is that how bosses are going to work? How about parents? Parents, I've tried to get my son to understand this, but it's not pleasing to me when he cries. <laughs> right? And I do whatever I can to try to stop him. But but for those of you who have older kids, if you walk in on them doing something that's not pleasing to you, do you just say, oh, yeah, carry on. No, no. And so this is how we know what the Lord's will is. It's a simple thought in our minds. Would God be pleased with what I'm doing right now? That's it. That's all you have to ask. Would God be pleased with me watching football all day today? Sorry. Sorry. Some of you are like, <laughs> right? I'm not saying that's wrong, but I'm saying you got to think in these terms, right? It's not just, am I okay watching football today? Is my family okay with me? The same with anything right is god okay with me playing video games all day today these are just simple illustrations but i mean it gets more complex but in the end it needs to come down to is this what god wants me to do right if the answer is yes then abound in all such things if the answer is no then stop stop right? If you're going to be immovable, Paul says, don't move yourself. Don't let anything move you. And then do what's right over and over and over and over and over and over again, even if it's tiring, even if it's hard. Do what's right. Um, why? Why all this stuff? Look Look with me real fast at First Corinthians 15. I need to find it here. Uh, yeah, yeah. 20, 30, sorry, 32. 32. two. First. 1 Corinthians fifteen thirty two, just one verse back from where we were earlier. It says this in the middle of the verse. If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. You guys get that? What's the motivation behind all this? Why would I stay in the same place? It could In college, they call this experimenting. It's so fun to get out there and do other things. Why would I abound in God's work when I can do my own work, when I can just do what pleases myself? why not just do that stuff? That stuff seems pretty great. Why? The last thing, be motivated by the glory to come. The resurrection is real. The resurrection is real. For those who believe in God, there will be a day where there will be no more sorrow, no more tears, no more pain, no more death, no more sin. We will be raised to glorious bodies that will not have affliction, that will not labor, that will not have problems, that will not have afflictions. But folks, that's not right now. (laughs) It's to come and be motivated by it. Why work for God? Because he's going to give me this in the future. Because I love him, because he saved me from going to hell and and I get to be with him forever in a resurrected body that won't have any of these things anymore. But for now, what is his will for me? For now, his will is for me to abound in working for him, abound in doing what's good, to not be moved by temptations and trials. I want to read things. I don't often do this, but I want to read a couple things that two authors said. The truth of the resurrection changes everything. It provides hope and steadfastness and enables us to go on in the face of overwhelming and difficult circumstances. The next one is this. What a word Paul gives to the countless Christians who work and pray and give and suffer as little as they can. How can we be satisfied with the trivial, insignificant, short-lived things of the world? How can we take it easy when so many around us are dead spiritually and so many fellow believers are in need of edification, encouragement, and help of every sort? When can a Christian say, I've served my time, I've done my part. let others do the work now. If the resurrection is true, we'll say it once we're in our resurrected bodies. <laughs> right? We'll say it then, but for now we encourage each other to keep going to keep to keep on to do the work of the Lord, to not be moved. Um, let, me, let me just if you go back to 58, we'll just finish this off this last part of the verse. This is what we're talking about. Fifteen fifty-eight. The part that says, "Knowing that your labor, or sorry, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain." The idea of vain is this: If I give you a Christmas gift, it's wrapped really nice, and you're excited, and you say, "Oh, I don't usually get gifts from Pastor Brandon. It's probably a Bible, right?" No, just kidding. <laughs> um, right? And you open it, and then it's empty. How do you feel about my gift? Vain. That's the idea of vain is emptiness. It's a hard word even to describe because it literally just means the absence of anything significant. Absent. that It's just nothing. And he said so. There's the deal. If our labor in the Lord is not in vain, the scary thought is it probably means there's things we can do on this earth that are in vain. The Bible mentions a lot of them. I got two pages. I got two pages worth of things that the Bible says are in, are in vain, but I'm not going to read them all. You guys are like sweet good. <laughs> Thought we were in for a long one here. Um, but I'll read a couple. The Psalms say that it's vain to stand against the Lord. You can try to stand against God. It's empty in the end. Purpose, nothing significant there. Uh, the Bible says that it's vain. This is a classic verse in the Psalms: "To build your own house, if unless the Lord's the one who builds it." Right? It says it's vain. Um, Isaiah told, uh, the religious hypocrites of his day and Jesus said it too, that all your religious ceremonies are vain if you're being a hypocrite, right? Meaning that you, this, you could take the sermon and say, oh, I need to go to church more. But if going to church is just a hypocritical thing for you, then that's vain. So again, you ask the question is, is this what pleases the Lord? Is it pleasing to the Lord if I go to church more, even though it means nothing to me? No. No, it's not pleasing to him. <laughs> um, so, uh, hypocrisy is vain. Um, there's other things. There's other things that the Bible says are not in vain. One of which is um, it's not in vain to stick to the Lord through trials. Not in vain. You can find that in Job, you find that in Isaiah, Lamentations, all of the above. Uh, it's not in vain to keep your hands and your heart pure. Even in a world around you that seems to be living as wicked as they can. It's in Psalm 73. God says Himself, it's not in vain. It's not in vain. Um, God's threats are never made in vain. As much as the world would like us to believe that things God says don't mean anything, they do. So the end of the matter is this. Oh, I wanted to show you one more thing in 1 Corinthians. If you could just go up to verse 2, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 2. Paul says this to the Corinthians about the resurrection specifically. And he says, He says, And by which you are being saved, that's the gospel, if you hold fast the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. There's our word vain again in 1 Corinthians 15. What he's saying is because the Corinthians had taken out the doctrine of the resurrection, they had changed the gospel. And Paul says, it doesn't matter. Uh, This is what I wrote. I said, belief, however strong in something false, is still vain. Right? Belief, however strong it is, if it's believing in something that's false, is vain. It's empty. Empty. Won't get you anywhere. Um, here's the conclusion. If you found the right answer, stay there. You guys know on a multiple choice test, they tell you not to change your first answer. Cause normally it's right. That's, that's not the same thing, but it's an illustration, right? It's a stay. Normally you should stay with your first answer. Cause if you start second guessing yourself, normally you change to the wrong answer. Um, if you found the right answer, if you're in God's will, if you're living how he would want you to live, don't be moved. Don't be moved. <clears throat> Um, why? Because the resurrection is real. Because the resurrection is real. As a youth pastor, I've seen that. How have I seen that? Um, I've seen that in death. I've seen that in death. In sitting with people who've loved ones have died, in watching people die, in um, being in the room when people have died, in uh, all these things What what do we do with death? What do we do with that? The resurrection. The resurrection is what we do with it. Those people that I've seen who've died, I've done funerals. They were believers. They're not dead. They will live. They will live again in a more real sense than we're even living now. But when I look at my life, it makes me say, I want this to count. I don't want to look at my life and say, this was vain. This was my life was in vain. I want to stay on the truth of the gospel and abound in God's work. And that's my challenge to us today is that as the new year comes, may that be true of us. you guys bow your heads with me and we'll pray. Ask the Lord's blessing as we go. God, thanks for this day. Thank you that the resurrection is true. God, it grants us hope. It grants us purpose. It makes it so that all work that's done in you is not in vain. God, it gives us a reason to stand firm even when everything around us is trying to move us away from the truth of the gospel. Lord, I want to pray for us that we would be immovable this year. And I want to pray um, that you would help us to abound in your work. God, I also think this time of people who are grieving, um, I don't say stuff about death lightly. God, I know there's real grief that happens on this planet, that there's real pain and real sorrow. And especially around the holiday times, it can be very hard. And so God, I pray for those that are grieving, that they would see hope in the resurrection, that they would walk with you and that they would not allow that grief to move them away from where they should be with you. Um, God, we love you. Thank you for raising Jesus from the dead. And thank you that one day you will raise us with him. And we pray these things in his name, amen. Amen. Thank you all for coming out. Be safe on the way home. You guys are dismissed.